Bryant was like concerned about coming on and he would have like nothing prepared to say. I was like, that's like the point of this fucking show. Literally what we do here. <laughs> Are fruit flies really bad for anybody right now? Yes. Because I have, I'm like infested with fruit flies and I cannot fucking get rid of them, dude. Like, that's, I've been having this problem for a week now. I'm glad it's not just me, then. Yeah, that actually makes me feel less like a. Like my home is decrepit. I thought I was just like slovenly all of a sudden. I'm like, I don't feel any dirtier than I was before. Like I'm not like leaving food trash around or anything like that. Like I didn't, I didn't know what's going on. Like I'm the same level of gross. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get kicked off the cars and comrades show soon. Cause I don't drive anymore. <laughs> oh, you're a pedestrian uh, now. Get off show, of this podcast. Our show radicalized me against cars. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to come up with a clever pun with bicycles in there somehow. Bolsheviks and bicycles? Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Done. No notes. <laughs> Hammer and cycle? That's mm-hmm. good. <laughs> I like that one. What were you going to say, Brandon? Sorry. Oh, um, I don't remember, but as a joke, uh, if I were a fed and I showed up at your house, the first thing I would say would be, I thought you would be taller. <laughs> That's good. That's what literally what everybody else said. Wait, isn't that what you said when I met you? Oh, yeah. I, okay. thought, you were, I thought you were going to be like almost my height. I yeah, don't know no. why. No. You said the same thing to him. <laughs> Did she? I, didn't, I don't remember that yeah. one for some reason. <laughs> or if oh, she oh, might oh, not have God. said it to your face, she told me behind your back after we oh, great, yeah. met you though, at your place. Yep. Mm-hmm. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. All right. So it's a live show for this week. So this week we got myself, Mikey Him, and Ward He Him from the Turn Lefts Podcast. We got Nick He Him and Levi He Him from the Intervention Podcast. We got Brian He Him and Brandon He Him from the Cars and Comrades Podcast. And we got Evan He Him from the Left of Subjective Podcast. How's it going, everybody? Got a full house tonight. I like it. Yeah. It's oh, like yeah, the buddy. Brady Bunch on here. <laughs> <laughs> it actually does look like that in the chat. It's great. Um, <laughs> So the topics I had on for tonight were, we could first talk about the Sahel coups. I should, I should say we start with that, right? Since that seems to be oh, yeah. a, a pretty pressing topic right now. Um, yeah, I don't have much of a big take on it other than like, it's good to see, like it is objectively good to see these African countries nationalizing things that were the product of colonization and, uh, you know, extractive wealth from France. And I've been arguing with some people online and they just express this immediate kind of skepticism or even worse than that, like uh, what feels kind of racist, to be honest, like it just feels like they're just assuming that every African leader who has a beret is going to be like some warlord dictator and just really do some awful shit to their people. And it just seems really reductive to me to just like boil all coups down to the same thing and just say they're anti-democratic. We can talk about that CNN article. Uh, that does the, exactly that and talks about nothing ideological or any kind of basis for what causes these coups. But uh, I want to see if anybody else had anything to say before we get much deeper into it. Dude, every time I see a red beret, I just start daydreaming of Sankara, man. So Right? Yeah. 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 I think of Monica Lewinsky first, but that's just me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that... Uh, questions. Not to talk about specifics of the coup, but there are some legitimate reasons to be skeptical. I mean, the first one that I think we talked about a little bit before recording is that the officer that overthrew the leadership in Nigeria was trained in a U.S. base, but we can talk about how that's not disqualifying in of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, given how many we uh, like to train, it's kind of a kind of our thing. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'll add is that 
you know, there's a lot to be learned still about who these people are. It kind of just like showed up on all of our feeds like over the past few days, right? So there's still a lot of investigation that needs to be done in terms of who these people are and everything like that, right? And, you know, one criticism I've seen like online is that like, oh, like they're not socialists. They're not going to bring around like the global proletarian revolution. And it's just like, all right, we need to get out of that headspace, right? Because yeah, there's a lot when of- when is that a demand? Right, like- right. Because like, even if they're just- bourgeois nationalists seeking to, you know, throw out the French, right? Because in Niger, in particular, right, like the French, their electrical grid is run on nuclear power to a large extent, right? And Niger is, I think, the seventh largest producer of uranium in the in the world. Mm-hmm. And a French company runs these exports, right? Runs kind of like the processing of uranium through this, right? But the point is, is that even if it is not a perfect socialist or, you know, in power there, um, there's a lot of precedent for people in the Marxist tradition, like supporting even like bourgeois nationalist kind of revolutions against or coups against colonialism. I mean, we can look at like the Pan-Arab movement, the non-aligned movement, right? These things that we look back on like historically and be like, oh yeah, like we're critically supportive of this because it's decolonial. It's anti-imperialist, right? So again, like just to kind of dismiss these things out of hand when they're clearly anti-French, anti-EU, anti-US, just based on some kind of like looking for something that is ideologically pure, that's not going to happen, right? So anything that is seeking to throw the U.S. and the French out on its face, I think is something that we here should be, you know, at least critically supportive of. Yeah, the idea that, like, a co- like uh, uh, any African state that's, like, still being effectively run and managed by the French could just immediately be like, no, we're doing socialism now. Um, we- we've seen already tried several times with not the greatest results. Great results for the people for a few years until, like, you know, someone gets taken out. You know, Sankara, um, I always, uh, oh, Lumumba. Yeah, like, if you if you just have the imperial boot on your neck and go full socialism, it's it's a tough road. So, and it's, it, to condemn them for not being, like, a socialist revolution, and again, we, like, we don't have all the details, we don't know, like, if these guys are, you know, some sort of African fascist state, then yeah, fuck them, but, like, the likelihood of that seems low, they're, they're, seem to be trying to do what is best for their country and Africa as a whole, from what I've read. But, like, if if England overthrew the monarchy right now, we wouldn't be like, boo, it's not socialist. We'd be like, yes, step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, like, even if they were, and I don't want to, like, get into, like, apologia for a potential, like, because we're talking hypothetically here about, like, a right-wing regime, but, like, the U.S. or France intervening, would not make the situation better at all. We have concrete evidence of this in Libya, right? So, like, we should just let shit play out. The thing that I'm loving about it is that I don't know anything about the coup itself or the details or their reasoning, like the, their, their positions. But what I have seen is the solidarity that the surrounding nations are willing to express and really, like, 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 uh, uh, I forget Mali and and Burkina Faso have both come out saying like, we stand united with Niger if the West tries to intervene and like barring full socialism, full communism, like that's what they need. Like solidarity across the continent would uh, up in like Western hegemony, like so fucking fast, especially like with, with Africa's close ties to, to China, man. Like if you start seeing like an independent, 
and developing Africa ally with China, it's over for Western power. And that yeah. fucking rules. Well, I, I assumed a lot of the, like the hatred that I'm seeing too is that a lot of these countries also have been linked in some way to Russia. And so immediately when anyone sees Russia, they're just their brain just turns into red scare mush and they have to immediately say it's bad because that's another thing though it's like you know they talk about like when they talk about um russia being kind of like kindred spirits right like the russian people i mean there's like historical precedents for that like that doesn't come out of nowhere that comes from like russia when it was part of the soviet union actually giving a lot of support for some movements that were there and everything like that i mean again like people for people just to think oh this is just because of like putler and the fucking um What's the goddamn PMC thing? Wagner or whatever, right? Oh, yeah. But, like, again, like, for people that understand history, they know that that sentiment comes from, like, a real place when, you know, Russia was part of the Soviet Union and actually, you know, supporting these, you know, these types of movements from a material perspective, right? I mean, just to be clear, like, I feel like a lot of people are framing this argument in a way that it doesn't even need to be framed to do to, to put it on their own terms like the people who are arguing and saying these guys aren't really socialists first of all they're not even right in in every sense like this guy malima i want to talk about him in a minute but i wouldn't even make the demand that they create some kind of socialist utopia in their countries or even that they use the wealth that they're do, they're getting from these nationalized resources to build crazy social programs like i would just be concerned that they break the colonial foothold of european countries in africa like just doing that is enough because that will there's objectively a force for good in the world. And that's why when you see them making partners with like the Belt and Road Initiative and becoming partners with China and Russia, it's like, of course, that's going to look bad to liberals who are already kind of primed at the pump to hate Putin and hate China just because they think it's scary, even if they can be jealous of the accomplishments. It's like, and I wanted to talk a bit about um, this one tweet that I saw because um, Black Red Guard, I don't know if it's like somebody else, but like, unless he has a new Twitter and it's Black Red Guard 1, but he said, these Af- the African leaders orienting towards Russia and China aren't communists or socialists. They're anti-Western populists at best. And Museveni in Uganda is an autocratic, homophobic reactionary. And it goes on, but it was a quote tweet. And someone else was responding to him saying, like, Traore is channeling Sankara. Um, I, that doesn't seem very credible to me to say someone is channeling Sankara. That doesn't mean much to me. He says, Tichani is talking that good talk. That also doesn't mean much to me. Goita is a belt and road promoter. That's actually materially good. That's like an objectively good thing. And Malima, this guy Julius Malima is from South Africa, and he's a dyed-in-the-wool Marxist-Leninist. And I pulled up his Wikipedia because I wanted to see how legit this was. And it says, like, right in the first paragraph, he's a South African politician, member of parliament, leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters, EFF, a far left-wing party which he founded in 2013. He was formerly the president of the African National Congress and Youth League from 2008 until his expulsion from the party in 2012. But I scrolled down, and I just wanted to see, because I was, like, reading the rest of his Wikipedia, and there was a section here that stuck out and said, comments on white genocide, and I thought this was really funny. It says on August 23rd, 2018, Malima spoke out against the white genocide conspiracy theory and was critical of comments made by United States President Donald Trump after he had instructed the secretary, his Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, to investigate South African farm attacks. Claiming it was, quote, absolute rubbish that to say that there's white genocide, Malima said that South Africans would, be, would not be intimidated by Mr. Trump and that the U.S. president's intervention into their domestic lands rights, land rights issues only made them more determined. Which was great because I was using this like white genocide thing to troll conservatives all the time when they were worried about this for like a whole month when it was in the news cycle for them. And I just kept going into subreddits where I knew they were and say like, well, these white farmers should just obey the law and then they'll stop getting killed. And they got so mad. It was great. 
I want to see more people like uh, c- condemning the white genocide conspiracy theory and more people advocating the white genocide material reality. Well, so then he follows up. I wanted to also follow up with this. Um, Malima continues. He said at a media briefing at EFF headquarters on the same day, Malima stated, quote, there is actually black genocide in the U.S. They are killing black people in the U.S. Black people are even being killed in South Africa. He also made an allegation that, quote, there's a group of white right wingers who are being trained by Jews in Pretoria to be snipers. I don't know about that one. Probably shouldn't have read that part, but I don't know what it like. I don't know if those means that they're like Israelis or what, but the South African Jewish Board of Deputies subsequently issued a statement denouncing Malima, calling his comments typical of his attention seeking behavior and aimed at creating racial tension. So I don't know. Maybe that's something that like he just has a shitty opinion about and that the West will absolutely use to their advantage when they want to demonize this guy. We see that kind of thing happen all the time. But this was all to say that like I am not demanding that Traore or um, Mali or anybody else like any other country make their country into a socialist paradise i just am glad to see them doing decolonization in a material realistic like an economic way and they're working with china and russia because that is the very obvious the thing that you like the, they're the obvious partners to go to in this situation it's like who else would you partner with if you're trying to stand up to the us in this reality as, as yeah, i mean what's the thing that we always advocate for it's the right to self-determination these people yeah. are free to make their own mistakes but they should be free to do it themselves without the without like the colonial powers bearing down on them well and then oh no 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 but like that that's exactly right and that the removal of western power influence military bases occupying troops essentially like opens up the door for opportunities for people's movements to actually do what is necessary in these places right so like again like maybe this place may not be perfect but like you can look at like the socialist movement of ghana the west africa people's organization the communist party of benin they all issued statements denouncing the possibility of imperialist intervention in niger right because they know that imperialist intervention as a res- you know that results of all these coups and these statements and everything like that is not going to be good for anybody right so like let us figure this out on our own like again dealing with the contradictions that come up out of what these movements are are going to be easier to settle on like a kind of national basis where these movements can grow on their own when you don't have the US squat you know squashing like any kind of communist or socialist movement that comes within these places on their own so or like even just populist Right. Yeah. But like, so removing these military bases and everything like that, like I think Niger has like one of the most expensive U.S. Air Force bases ever built. And it's all part of AFRICOM. Right. So like removing that presence there is a net good for any kind of future development. Like, again, like it's like hitting the socialist button. Like this, this shit doesn't just happen. You know what I mean? Like there's a process to it. Just to tamp down on some people's expectations here, uh, Niger has yet to kick out that military base. Uh, neither has Cuba kicked out Guantanamo Bay since 1960. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. There's yeah. still a lot of work yeah, I mean, to be I, done. Well, that, well that's my point, though. To be afraid. But that's my point, though, is that like this shit does not happen overnight. You know what I mean? It's incremental steps. Uh, also, a thing that you touched on but didn't go into, and I think it's worth addressing, is... Uh, a lot of us are really fast to have an opinion about this being good or bad. And it's really important to remember that you should be listening to the people of that country, like the people who are doing these actions and the people who are directly like material impacted by these actions. Those are the voices that need to be listened to right now, long before anyone in the West has an opinion uh, condemning or, or really even praising. Like we can praise it, but 
if universally everyone in West Africa said this is a bad thing because of X, Y, and Z, we should listen to them and understand that. We we love to have opinions like way before anyone affected has spoken up. And you know, I, I forget exactly what you said, but you you, you touched on it, and I, I think it's worth remembering. We let we yeah they know better than we do for themselves. Yeah, just a quick statement on what you said earlier. I mean, our support is critical support. If it turns out that the population has no interest in this coup, no interest in these leaders, then I think we should repeal our critical support. But right now it does, at least in the initial reporting, look like the population is relatively supportive of this coup. The president was not popular, the U.S.-backed president. So right now I'm happy critically supporting this intervention. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to read a little bit of that, uh, that CNN article. I think article. Brian had something, though, yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't see I, Brian. I just have a little bit about that base in Niger, the U.S. Uh, Air Force Base. Uh, it cost $110 million to build, and it is mostly being used uh, for flying drones to attack uh, so-called Islamic militants in uh, Africa. So uh, right now they're not able to use the base because... Um, basically, the the coup government has, you know, stopped any uh, airplanes from taking off, you know, in or out of Niger. Hell yeah. Um, well, so, <laughs> yeah, they got a big old paperweight of a Air Force base there. That's so great. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Um, I mean, yeah, Levi, like you were saying, critical supports. Like that's when I when I was reading that tweet earlier, that's saying like this guy is talking the good talk and this guy's channeling Sankara. It's like, eh, show me the receipts. Like I want to see some actual like something that they're they're doing and i think if uh if they had that they would have put that in the tweet for at least those examples but um i, I did find this interesting in the cnn article um this was like something that somebody quoted in a tweet thread while they were debunking some uh myths about the coups that have been going on in africa in the cnn article it says why are coups making a comeback in africa and uh I'm going to skip ahead to this third paragraph here. According to one study, Sub-Saharan Africa experienced 80 successful coups and 108 failed coup attempts between 1956 and 2001, an average of four a year. This figure halved in the period from then till 2019 as most African nations turned to democracy, only for it to once again be on the ascendance. Why? And this entire framing of this article is just this weird, like, it's like some person who exists out in space, like, apart from the world, just like looking at these things, uh, like a scientist, like, oh, there's just coups. And sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're <laughs> happening all the time. And for some years, like, uh, nothing happens. And then there are weeks where decades happen. It's so weird. But there's no questioning into, like, the ideology. They do get into this article and they say that, um, I don't know if I can find the exact thing. When it comes to poverty, an already tragic situation has been worsened by the battering Africa's fragile economies took from the coronavirus pandemic. One in three people are now unemployed in Nigeria, West Africa's largest economy. The same goes for South Africa, the most industrialized African nation. It's now estimated the number of extremely poor people in sub-Saharan Africa has crossed the 500 million mark, half the population. And I don't think they, no, they don't examine anywhere in here, like, why this poverty could is that, so random. Could that be, like, a, could that be a reason why these things are happening, potentially? Oh and, like, that people are rejecting, like, these, you know, democ democratic you know, leaders and institutions that have been set up by the West, like that have obviously failed the people there. One thing what you guys don't understand is that there's no rhyme or reason to it. Things just happen. There's no, uh, you just spring out of the air. You know, sometimes people just get a wild hair up their ass and they overthrow the government. There's no reason. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I say they do make the point of like saying that 
these coups happen as a result of economic instability. So like when people are not having a good time, they don't trust the institution of their government, and these coups happen. They don't ever mention like foreign influence on the coup. Um, yeah, that sounds like saying murder <laughs> happens because violence. Like, <laughs> yes, sure. Yeah, I mean, my point is, I just think it would be good journalism to examine why this poverty seems to be so endemic in this continent. Like, and maybe just look at colonialism once and see if that has anything to do with these repeated coups. But sorry, Levi and then Bryant. Yeah, just to build off of what you're saying beyond even just looking at the material conditions, maybe just looking at who trains these military officers that are committing these coups. And over a dozen of them in West Africa alone have been United States trained military officers. Maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe it's not. Just saying there are reasons that this, these are happening outside of even just material conditions. Well, there's two types. There, there are the people who are like American trained and then they'll like fuck up their whole country because America helped the, like because they're trying to you know help America. And then there are people who are, are American trained who will fuck up their whole country using the resources America gave them, but not necessarily on behalf of America. Um, and it's just both cases are a reminder why we should just get the fuck out of Africa. Yeah, yeah just to build on your point, the president of Niger was a U.S.-backed president. I mean, he had full support of the United States government. So it seems kind of strange that the United States government would then back a military coup. Uh, they were already getting their sandwich and their, their lunch. They don't need some other guy to eat it for them. Yeah, but it's like almost like the definition of blowback, right? Like as we were talking about off the top, it's like, you know, people come up in like these army systems and like these training systems, right? Like whether they be French dominated or U.S. dominated and, you know, maybe they find something else like beyond that. Like maybe they're just like a soldier. Like, I mean, Sankara was like we, we, we made the point earlier before we started the recording. Sankara was trained by the French and he made it a point to throw the French out of Burkina Faso. Or try to, you know? And it's just unintended consequences of, like, a global fucking empire. Like, trying to control every aspect of the, of the world. Using the master's tools to dismantle yeah. the master's house. <laughs> right. Brian, did you go yet? Uh, yeah, I, I just had a little bit more about uh, Burkina Faso. I don't know their exact structure of their government, uh, but they have a president and a prime minister. And last year, the president appointed a uh, prime minister... Uh, named Tambela, who is a Marxist and Sangarist. Uh, that's all it says about here. But uh, at least there's one Marxist in government there. And I wanted to sound um, like a low position. I wanted to read a bit of this thread uh, that I had linked in the group chat earlier, and this is from uh, Ndongo Samba Silla. So it's his at is N S S Y L L A on Twitter. And his bio says, Ndango Sambasila is a Senegalese development economist interested in fair trade, labor markets, social movements, democratic theory, and monetary sovereignty. And this thread, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. It's like debunking a lot of the myths, like I was saying about some of the stuff that was talked about in the CNN article. And let's see, they say, successful coups, i.e. government overthrow, reached their peak in the African continent during the 1970 to 1990 periods, 36 for each. They declined in the following decades, eight between... 2020 to 2022. And most of the African countries have been free of coups since the 1990s, while less than a third never experienced a successful coup since their independence, something that is never acknowledged. Given that the recent coups have been happening in the same countries in the Sahel, it is wrong to talk about the quote return of coups for the whole continent. Um, let's see. If you look at the map, you see that the coups are geographically located in the Sahelian band. 
And I'll link this thread in the show notes, of course, but you can see there's a, a graphic that makes it really plain. And let's see, talks about Tunisia for a bit. Let's skip ahead of Europe for a bit. There are currently two strong determinants of successful coups in Africa, being a former French colony and being in a zone militarized by foreign powers. Recent coups do indicate no particular trend about the political health of the continent, but they reveal a reality people are loath to acknowledge, the crisis of French imperialism. Coups in Francophone Africa reveal attempts by some countries to de-link from France's grip. Mali and Burkina Faso are examples, as well as attempts by France to maintain its influence. The coup in Chad was backed afterwards by France and created no particular issue for the West. The crisis of French imperialism is also visible in the highly repressive character of French-speaking African countries that are portrayed as, quote, democracies, i.e. loyal to Western interests, and which suppress violently internal dissent and the opposition. So it's not a surprise that some of the coups have been reaction to despotic excesses, such as in Guinea when the incumbent president was overthrown after he allowed himself a third term using constitutional manipulations. Niger is being described as a country with a, with a quote, democratic tradition. In 1996, French officials were happy with the military coup by I.B. Minasara. When the latter was killed during a new coup, they lamented a, quote, democratic setback. That Francophone Africa is afflicted with coups is not a new phenomenon. This is structural. In a book, sorry, in a book chapter I wrote in 2015, I gave the following assessment. At present, coup attempts as a mode of political regulation in sub-Saharan Africa survive mainly in French-speaking countries, including those in the Franc zone. They have always been a costly stopgap in, in terms of human lives. And then he goes on to have a bunch more tables and graphs and explain this in like much more economic terms. But I think that does a really good job of like changing the framing of like from that fucking CNN article that he was responding to. I, I just like that much better. <clears throat> but we can move on. We can finally stop talking about this. And uh, since I think we spent half the episode on it now, if you guys want to talk about. Well, can, can we at least mention that like Chad seized the Exxon Mobil assets and shit? Oh, yeah, that was great, too. It was like, like back Chad in April Mobile. or March, wasn't it? <laughs> What's that? That was like back in March or April, wasn't it? That was oh, like... wasn't that long ago? I, I guess yeah. I just learned about it because that's like what was in the. Uh, no, it's coming back up now, but that, that came up, yeah, a few months back. I just loved reading the Exxon Mobil like uh, press release. Like while while uh, nationalization was common in the sixties and seventies, it's become increasingly rare. Yeah, if you guys want to move on, we can talk about something else. The other topics I had in there were. Um... I mean, I don't have really anything about Trump going to jail. I know he was like indicted again, and this one seems like more serious charges because it's related to January 6th, and it seems like they have a lot of video footage and um, like quotes. I don't know how, what, what's the official, um, what counts as like a quote for someone? Does it have to be on record, or can it just be someone testifying that someone said something else? Either way, they seem to have that on Trump. They have a lot of Trump saying that he knew it was false that the election was stolen from him and then would say it publicly anyway. So that seems to be the one way you can actually get this guy on like what he knows and what he doesn't know, because that was always the thing, right? Like trying to get in the head of Trump legally to determine whether he knew he was lying or not. And it seems like they finally have that evidence. But again, the only thing I have to say about it is the, the meme I put in the group chat of the truck that seems like it's heading towards the bollard and never actually hits it. It's like, that is Trump going to jail. It just, it never <laughs> quite gets there, but we'll see. What you got, Brandon? I would I would have a slightly different analysis of it, which is like I don't know who is is so pro Trump that they're doing this, but it reminds me of his first uh, run for office, where um, everybody said he didn't have a snowball's chance in hell, but they kept giving him more and more news coverage because he was like so outlandish and so outrageous, 
And a lot of people credit that extra coverage that he got as being the reason why he was elected, because he was just constantly in the news cycle. And that's all I can think about right now, because yeah. every well, time he's facing a he's facing a much harder challenger this time. That's going to really take him to task. <laughs> so I don't think that's going to happen. OK, well, yeah, yeah I think I think it. my take on this is the same as Mike's. Uh, let me know when something different happens. I've heard the story too many times. I don't need to yeah. hear it again. Yeah, I was almost hesitant to even bring it up. It could be indictment 15, and he's still not going to go to jail. Who gives a shit? Yeah. You want to talk about the aliens instead, you guys? Talk about something that's yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's got to take on the aliens? Because I don't really have much. I'm, like, still on the fence, whether it's, like, a distraction or, like, a, we call it, like, a psyop for more military budgets. But I think Matt Crispin on his show made a good point that they don't need to do any psyops to justify military budgets. Like, they can just do that anyway. They don't need to convince anyone. But what do you got, Brandon? Um, okay, so I, I, I was actually, like, just watching some random bullshit that was completely disconnected from all of this. It literally was just uh, only relevant because uh, that dude is, is now testifying in front of Congress that aliens are real and all that shit. Um, they, like, so the big hype around him is that he's a credible source, right? Like, he's been privy to all of this, like, super top secret information, so he knows all of this stuff. Uh, everything that he say, uh, addressed that I've seen or that I've talked to anyone about is like hearsay. It's all secondhand. There's, there's no firsthand information whatsoever, but what does exist is I think like four or five actual NASA astronauts who have come out and said, um, yes, I saw this. I believe in aliens because I saw that like Buzz Aldrin himself has come out and said things to the effect of like, uh, I think he actually said that he, saw a, a UFO in the genuine, like, unidentified sense uh, on one of his trips into space. So what you have there over the course of decades is numerous, more credible people with firsthand experiences who were, you know, effectively dismissed or ignored. So why am I supposed to believe that this guy who is just a bureaucrat who got all of this information second, third, fourth hand has anything to bring to the table other than the fact that the oceans are boiling and the deserts are melting into glass. So why would I ever believe that this guy is anything but a distraction tactic? Because mm. I, like, I think it's really important. If we're going to be materialists, the, the, the 12th guy in line to come out with uh, this expose, who has the least amount of credibility being the guy who's getting the most coverage, should throw up a lot of fucking red flags. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I didn't think of it that way. Would you have, Nick? No, I mean, it's just like, and this is the easy take, but it's just like astounding, like how little people fucking care. Like, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. even like, talking to like progressive liberals that, you know, I've, that I'm friends with and everything like that, it's just like, okay, whatever. You know, like there's a lot of other shit going on to your point, Brandon, about like climate change and everything like that. It's like, I mean, and it's just the meme, right? It's like, hey man, like I got a lot of shit going on right now. You know, like I don't care. That's cool, man, but I played on rent. Yeah, <laughs> like people don't care. Again, like even in like these progressive liberal spaces, it's just like talking to like I was just out seeing some friends like that I made through my wife and everything like that. And we're talking about it and, you know, we touch on it. We kind of laugh about it. And then we immediately turn to like inflation, all this other shit, like how like the value of our houses is just like insane relative to you know, <laughs> what the market is and everything, you know, it's just like, nobody fucking cares. Nobody fucking cares because everybody's like too beat down by what the hell is going on around them that, 
you know, so what if there's aliens? So fucking what? Yeah, best case scenario, or I don't know, best case, worst case, I don't know. Aliens are are completely real. They're coming to Earth. They're already here. And your landlord will still evict you if you don't pay up soon. Yeah. <laughs> Which one is the more imminent threat? That's where we're at in, in American politics right now is I'm more afraid of a landlord than an alien. This is yeah, going to sound it. like... Sorry, go ahead, Ward. Yeah, I'd say it's time to sit up and pay attention whenever they start saying that this problem needs to be addressed militarily. That's when we need to start being like, oh, okay. It's like, and I've been the one, one of the ones that I've been pretty strict on the whole, this whole UFO narrative is eventually leading to weaponization of space against Russia and China. Like, especially the ramp up of all the UFO story coverage in conjunction with ramping up of tensions with Russia and China. And so, don't say they're saying. Have, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, we have a space force to fund now. You know, t- yeah, ten but years they're not ago. like asking for more space force budget. So, like that one's hard to like. And that's why I'm saying like we can sit up and pay attention once they start saying directly saying like this needs to be addressed militarily. Because I mean, they're not asking for like, hey, we need forty billion more dollars for space force to address UFOs yet. I I misunderstood what you were saying. I got you. Yeah, and it's like. Yeah, because, like, I'm hard in this camp of, like, yeah, no, this is what it's going to eventually lead to, but, like, there's nothing really coming out. Like you were saying, these are just dudes talking. It's mostly hearsay. Like, some dude said, hey, some stuff, and in front of Cong- Senate, Congress, whatever. That doesn't matter. He, had, he had a friend in the right news outlet. That's the only fucking way this story played out. Yeah. That, that makes the most sense, Ward. Like, I think that's perfect. Like, in another year and a half to two years, right in time for that 2025 We're With China prediction from that general who's, like, one of the top guys who said that's when it's going to happen. Then they will come out, oh, we were wrong about the UFOs. It wasn't actually aliens. It was just the super technology that China and Russia have that we need to really work hard and tighten our buckle, tighten our belts to uh, uh, develop here because otherwise we're just going to lose this war. It was a galactic space balloon. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, you're leaving out the real threat. Cuba has already gotten our CIA agents with Havana syndrome. They also have alien technology. And they're right <laughs> next to Florida. They're there. They're already here. They have yeah, advanced uh, yeah, the intergalactic most uh, cigar rolling technology. And <laughs> yeah, the most push I've seen for like militarily again, like with the weapons, military addressing this or weaponization of this narrative against Russia and China. That was like a couple years ago. Um, former CIA agents, um, defense secretary went on MSNBC and was like. More than likely, we're just uh, like uh, over-assuming the capabilities of China and Russia, and this is more than likely their drone programs can account for the majority of these UFO sightings. So that's the most I've seen, but like I'm not seeing a lot of like pushes for like more budgeting or weaponing of space, weaponization of space. Like no one's directly out saying that just yet. So because this, is, if this is in that. fact China, like Chinese technology, and they're that advanced, then we have. Militarily, we have every right in the world to be afraid of them and, and should not provoke them. Yeah, we have every right to be Whenever afraid right. based on the results of fucking Ukraine, where like Ukrainians are like, oh, you know what? Now we're going to abandon these U.S. training tactics and actually going back to like what we knew, right? Where like wah, all wah. this fucking technology is getting, <laughs> all these armaments and technology are getting fucking decimated by like revamped Soviet era shit right now. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? It's fucking crazy. You know it's bad when NBC News says the counteroffensive is failing, and it's because that Ukraine is not controlling the narrative well enough. It's like, oh, <laughs> honey. 
I mean, isn't it Malcolm X that said the French had all these highly mechanized instruments of warfare, but they put some guerrilla action on, and a white man can't fight a guerrilla warfare? I mean, that's the literal quote, but at the larger point that he's making is it doesn't matter how much money you throw at something, how much technology you throw at something. If you're fighting a war that nobody actually believes they should be there, you're not going to succeed. The United States didn't win Vietnam. Well, that's I mean, the reason they didn't over and nuke over Vietnam. Again. That's the reason they didn't nuke Vietnam, because they knew that they were going to be bombing targets that weren't fucking there. And then these people would keep fighting. Didn't matter. They had already done the equivalent of nuking and shit like that, like by napalming the entire fucking like Indochina Peninsula down there. Like, doesn't matter. To go back uh, just real quick to the topic of the aliens, I I know that everyone is saying that like you know I don't care about aliens because I got rent to pay or I got this or that material condition that I'm really worried about. But like, I've noticed that even people who aren't worried about their immediate like who are not living paycheck to paycheck, like I'm sure you guys all know people who are not what we would consider working class, I guess proletariat, if we're going to be vulgar Marxists about it. Like, I know people who are petty bouge, and they don't worry about things day to day. They have very comfortable lives. Um, and I have to have conversations with these people. Like, I work with them. Like, I got to, like, make conversation. I can't talk about, like, Marxist shit. So I will say things like, hey, how about them aliens? How about the government saying there's aliens? And they're just like, yeah, I don't care. Like, they just, <laughs> even from people who could conceivably need that distraction in the news, um, they just don't seem to believe it. And I feel like, it's something about either the way that this is being presented where it doesn't seem like it's some kind of bombshell revelation because it was like in the news for like two or three days and then faded away into like some Kim Kardashian stuff. Like, I don't know. Or it just speaks to the general distrust and like lack of faith that anybody has in any of our media anymore, which is crazy to me because people will also openly talk about how propagandized Russians are as if that's like unique <laughs> and just like, um, but they just don't make that connection with their own media, which is great to me. But brand would have. Uh, it's, there's a, a couple of podcasts I listen to where there's like like UFO adjacent shit, uh, like just like true crime sort of bullshit. And one guy in particular who's like a like an actual like card carrying MUFON member, um, his whole take on this has been so funny to me because most of the UFO guys for decades are like, I don't trust the government; they're hiding so much shit. So now that the government's coming out, <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe, maybe UFOs are real. All the UFO guys are just coming out like, well, I don't trust you, so maybe they're not. <laughs> I wanted to well, believe, but then the government said aliens are real. <laughs> Dude, like, the government has lost, like, the U.S. government has lost so much faith from every person living here from different angles that even the diehard UFO guys are like, well, if the, U if the U.S. says it's true, it can't be. Yeah, it's like the other meme that I've seen going around. And it's like, hey, we're here to overthrow the government. That's the aliens. And it's like, cool, bro. Good luck with that. <laughs> can, we, can we help? Thanks. Evan had something though, yeah. Well, I, I was just, I was only just going to say is that you're talking about like people's not believing what the government said. I feel like I just saw a poll that something like the, the lowest trust in government by like the American people, I think, of all time was at like 17%. Oh, yeah. And so it, no one, no one takes anything they say seriously. And when you're talking about aliens, like, I don't, you're saying like, I don't think anyone cares. Anyone believes anything they're saying. Nobody. I think to take what Ward has said and to second my opinion on the fourth Trump indictment, let me know when this develops into <laughs> something concrete. I just don't care. I don't talk to anybody that's ever mentioned this me to me, even remotely seriously. The only time somebody in America believes that something that the government says is going to happen is if it's bad. Mm -hmm. And yeah, UFOs, like student like, loans like, restarting in fucking October. Unless it's COVID. <laughs> <laughs>
I uh, no, just like like aliens are kind of on the fence. Like unless it's unequivocally bad or good, we're just kind of like, well, whatever. I I'm sorry if someone already covered this. I dropped off the call there for a second, but um, it just reminds me a little bit of the original uh, Roswell incident because like back in the '40s, UFOs or flying saucers were a bit of a meme. They were a thing in the culture that like. There was, you know, movies and comic books and whatever about flying saucers. And then there's this thing that some farmers found out in the desert. And they're like, what is this? Um, you know, at first they were saying it was a flying saucer. And the U.S. military ran with that story because they were covering up Project Mogul, which was listening for um, uh, high altitude uh, bomb tests that the Soviet Union might be doing. So they were had like microphones and these uh and these uh, balloons way up in the atmosphere. So like something similar could be happening that they're they're just latching on to this that that UFOs or whatever they call them now are in the cultural zeitgeist and they're UAPs. like yeah yeah whatever UAPs and and <laughs> it changes every couple months. But uh, they could just be covering up something else or just. Yeah, I mean, who knows exactly what they're doing, but it, it, there is some parallel there, I think. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to kind of pin down, but yeah, ultimately, yeah, you can start paying attention whenever, like, all of the imperialist medias, like, converge on a single talking point and start talking about, we need to address this militarily. Then you can perk your ears up and start doing a real critical analysis of these things. Until then, hang out, guys. What's a bummer to me is that uh, what we have here is, is hundreds, thousands, like at the very least hundreds of credible people making claims of something. And it doesn't have to be aliens. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It's just an unexplained phenomenon. That is uh, rife for scientific exploration. Like, what is this phenomenon? Like, what do we not know? There's a learning uh, experience to be had here. And we're ignoring that because... Uh, we have to take the stupidest possible approach to it at all times. Yeah, and it's because, like, Americans are the most scared people ever. It's like, oh, this is terrifying. This is somebody trying to kill us. Like, Well, we have literally 100 years of the government telling us that anything that has any power is only there to threaten us. Yeah, exactly. Levi, did you have something else? Nobody has mentioned that Disney just announced that a new movie in the Alien franchise will be released within the next year. <laughs> don't don't want to downplay it if we're going to be talking about You're something that doesn't matter. Promo? Might as well throw it? out information out there. You saying this viral is marketing for Disney? Yeah, marketing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hell of a marketing campaign. If so, we're you, glad you pulled. Do you really put it past them to. to run a United Disney's States a panel about it? No, no, no. That that would just be really ballsy, though. Man, that would be like that would be a new one. That would go down in some. I don't know. Do they make history books anymore? Who cares? Word. <laughs> I want to say, talk about, if, that, uh, if that's true, I'm watching that movie because they've really pulled this one together. I got one last quick take on aliens before we change topics. Okay. Honestly, I'm pretty fucking disappointed with all this shit because, like, this is the perfect funnel for them to just like shove propaganda through because it's not like paradigm, social class, conflicting rhetoric. It's just aliens. It doesn't fucking threaten any kind of power structures or anything like that so it's the perfect funnel for them to shove propaganda through and they're not even like ramping it up cool like showing pictures of this stuff it's just dudes saying stuff like come on this is if this is like a big long psyop this is like super slow cloud seeding stuff 
Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you mentioned that because that actually was one of the things I wanted to say right off the bat was that there was no physical evidence. There was nothing like concrete. It was just testimony. It was just this guy saying things that he had heard from other people or I don't know. Did he even say anything? He'd experienced himself. I didn't watch any of it, yeah. but it's like. Dude, I, that, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, to my knowledge, he did not have a single personal experience. It was all second and third hand information. It was all hearsay. But even Fox Mulder, when he saw the aliens, like, he didn't get any pictures either. No one believed him. <clears throat> We've also like failed to mention that like almost all of the reported quote unquote sightings have been located in North America. Oh yeah, yep. the aliens. <laughs> they only the come aliens here. Aliens are white. They, yeah, they only come to the richest, most democratic place in the entire world. Um, so, some of the more like well-known, incredible, uh, like experiences that people have reported were in Africa and, and Europe as well. Yeah, it's all the ones. It, it mostly took place in Western Europe, and then it was like really heavily just dense on the the american map but i don't know i feel like the reactionaries and the the racists are going to say it's because they can't afford cell phones to take videos of things in like all the poorer countries outside like the the imperial core but it's just like that's not even the case it's like there's video cameras everywhere it's like that's why we have so many like russian dash cam videos and everything it's like that's like a huge portion of the internet it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna come in here uh slightly contrary but i will say that like i've seen the maps that you guys are talking about where it's like a bajillion uh, sightings in the U.S. and then like nothing elsewhere, and I, I don't think that that's grounds for much because any yokel can call in and say that, and that's a popular, fun thing to do in America. That doesn't like if you were to like have some sort of metric where there was a quote-unquote credible thing reported, like a credible like sighting or experience, then that might uh, skew like the experiences globally a lot different. I would love, like, I come from a perspective of I don't really believe in aliens, but oh man, that would be cool. I would, I want someone to show me evidence that that's real. So, like, I will give people a lot of rope to hang themselves, and uh, they still, like, still just all of these people just don't impress me. So, I, I, I'm somebody who wants to believe, and they're still just shooting blanks at me. Yeah. Well, I'd like to try to move to uh, wrap it up if we can, but I just, like, I guess I want to end by saying congrats to the Teamsters and the UPS guys for having one, all but one demand, if I remember correctly. And plenty of podcasts have read through the entire list of uh, concessions that they won from UPS. So I don't think we need to do that here. I also don't have to listen to me, so I'm not going to. yellow with a win, but. Oh, yeah, the yellow one. I mean, that's disappointing. The yellow shut down the company instead of, like, acquiescing to any demands from the the workers. Yellow acquiesced to, okay, first of all, as as I understand it, there wasn't even a negotiation. Yellow was was backing down on a bunch of contractually obligated stuff to the tunes of millions of or tens of millions of dollars. Eventually said, "Okay, we'll we'll fix this real quick." And then Yellow just they went out of business immediately after saying they would follow through. Hmm. Levi looks like he knows more than I do. I do not, but I just okay. want to repeat the same thing I said earlier that I have critical support for the victory that's been done here. But if the Teamsters themselves go to vote and they vote it down, I support them there too. I mean, this is not our place to say whether or not this is a good deal. It's the Teamsters themselves decision to say whether or not this is a good deal. Oh, I've definitely already seen people come out with the too little too late. And, you know, yeah, dude, if, if you want more, fucking shoot for it. You you got everything you wanted. You just learned you have the power. Get more. Oh, I mean, that'd be fantastic like yeah i didn't even think about that as a possibility that they would actually be that ballsy but fucking great like that'd be fantastic um i mean that was why i wanted to pull up the air horn work just to congratulate those guys but i don't feel like the moment has passed but that would be (laughs) air horn worthy like if they vote down the contract and ask for more like fucking air horns for days for sure but um i mean does anybody else have any other takes or we can wrap it up no i mean i just think the point is that like 
that victory or, you know, the tentative victory, right, came as a result of like the organization that already existed and the threat of the strike. They were, you know, they were doing like practice pickets. They were demonstrating that they could make this effective. And there was like people, you know, organizations all over the place, like ready to stand in solidarity with them, you know? So like, just because like they didn't strike. And again, I do think, you know, I'm like a really like personal level, like, oh man, it would have been great to see them like flex that kind of power to shut down that the economy like that, you know, that listening to workers, they're going to get, if this all goes through a lot of what they wanted. Right. So like to put it that way, but again, it's like that threat of organization. So I think you still have to look at it and agitate it around it as like a victory for organized workers, right? Now, I still think we need to take it to the political realm, you know, in terms of like the union organizing that we have. But I think we have to remember remember where we're at in terms of like rebuilding the union movement in this country after it was decimated by fucking Reagan and neoliberalism, right? So this is a good thing, you know? I agree with everything that you just said, but I want to add an important extra part, which is that there is one factor that is different now than a few years ago, which is that the Teamsters have a lot more radical leadership now than they did a few years ago. Oh. I constantly forget his name, but the current president of the Teamsters is... O'Brien, yeah. John O'Brien. Yeah. He's, he's, what now? he's an outspoken socialist, right? Like He claims that title, yes? Nice. I don't think so. Does no, he? does he not? Okay, I, maybe I had misunderstood something. But I'm he sure said, acts like it. I mean, the fucking like he's starting to fight the guy. Like he's been on some left leaning podcasts that I listen to. So like, hmm. if he's not a socialist, he's at least like veering in that. Direction. He's a militant. He's a militant leader, which is he's a labor guy you, for sure, and he's right. not willing to back down. And uh, I don't think the leader makes or breaks the organization, but having like that at the head makes a big fucking difference. And when the person in charge is ready to fight, then everybody else wants to fight with them. Just just real quick before you guys go. One thing that I have heard is that the Teamsters are, to the point about radical leadership and like where we're at in terms of organizing in this moment right now, is that the Teamsters are turning their gaze towards Amazon and supporting that fight as well. So, I mean, I, I, I we'll see where that goes. Like, you know, I, that's just something that I've heard. We'll see. But... I think we've got some people that are thinking strategically. So, yeah, and they have already organized one small um, distribution unit or whatever it's called in California, I believe. Um, for Amazon. For Amazon, yeah. Nice. Um, so, yeah, they're chipping away at it. I, I think it. I was just going to say it. It's a nice contrast to like the whole railroad uh, thing last year, where it seemed like union leadership just didn't have a plan on what to do like if the negotiations didn't go through they didn't have a plan for striking or any kind of action really uh whereas the teamsters definitely do so it's a nice thing to see yeah just to bring this full circle the leadership doesn't need to be a pure socialist to deserve support they just need to be willing to fight and o'brien is definitely willing to fight yeah i can't tell you how much i love yeah, just I didn't mean to say that he him. had to be a socialist, just that I was thinking he was. Nick, you're muted. No, sorry. But I was saying, like, in the same way that we're talking about the West Africa situation a little bit right now, right? Like, we're talking about rebuilding a movement, opening up new opportunities. To your point, Brian, a second ago, I really thought that Biden was going to step in and prevent this from, like, happening. Like, I was really surprised when UPS just acquiesce all these or all but one demand and like biden didn't like 
I really thought that was gonna. I made a meme about it. I really thought it was gonna happen. Like I'm, I, don't know, I guess he doesn't. Gone. He doesn't have the same power to do that as he did with the railroads because it's under a different law. Um, the railroads oh, the, have their right. own. The yeah. Senate parliamentarian said he couldn't do it, so he's not <laughs> going to do it. No, I I appreciate that take, but really, if he wanted to grandstand and quash this, he really could have used that bully pulpit to do so. That's literally the only time he has is to crush labor activism. And he didn't. And that's important that he didn't do it. Because he's the most pro-labor president in history. <laughs> Damn straight. No, I honestly think it was because of that fucking Sean O'Brien guy that was saying a second ago. Like, every clip you hear of him, he's got that thick Boston accent, and he's like talking shit. He's like talking like he's in a bar fight, and he's like talking to about the UPS guy. Well, to be fair, wasn't the UPS guy who said something to him? Like it was like really out of line, like he wanted to fight him or something. And then Sean O'Brien came back. He's like, "What do you think is going on here? Dude? Like, do you know who I am?" He was like, "It was really funny because the UPS guy was coming off like a total just dork, and then Sean O'Brien is like." Just literally sounds like a fucking goodwill hunting, like, we'll fight you in a bar and win guy. Like, I just would not fuck with this guy. It's, it's really it's great to hear him. I love it. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's one thing you have to remember in, like, this whole thing is that there are still, like, elements of, like, if you're talking about, like, maybe, like, a more reactionary, like, UPS worker or union leader, like, there's still residuals from, like, the Hoffa Jr. era, right, who was more, like, capitulationist, more accommodationist, right? But there's, you know, there's all these different you know, branches essentially of the union, right? And they're not all necessarily aligned with what O'Brien's vision may be. There are people that like think, oh, you know, we're just like in the Hoffa camp. Again, who was more of that ilk where, you know, they're completely in bed with the Democrats. They'll just do what the Democrats say and everything like that. So like, again, like there's contradictions even within that union, you know? And hopefully this is something to show that like, the union is moving in a more progressive step, you know? Yeah. Just for my own personal entertainment, I want to find the people who will do anything the Democrats say, and then just put them in a room with Dianne Feinstein for like a day, just to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. I mean, and like the other thing is like, you have to put this strike threat in the context of everything else that's going on. Starbucks workers organizing, like service workers organizing everywhere, right? Like SAG-AFTRA going on. And I mean, I don't know, like just like in talking to people like on the street and everything like that, people are not like blaming these people for like threatening to take this kind of action or taking these, the actions that they are like people get it. So that's, I think, another like factor in kind of what's maybe going on here in the calculus. The last take I have on the whole UPS thing is that I just don't think the if they go through and sign the contract, uh, you know, they, they deem it good enough. I don't think that's going to make anywhere near as much news and press and headlines as obviously the threat of the strike even did, let alone what the strike would have. You know, but I mean, I can't even say that that's like capitalist media trying to downplay the, the strike. Obviously, it's like more salacious and more headline worthy if there is a strike and it affects people's daily lives. Like obviously, that would have made much bigger news. And so I think in that vein, like as much as we were wishing for the strike to happen, it's probably a good thing overall that it didn't because that would absolutely have been used to demonize these workers, to demonize the idea of unions and striking at all, um, and probably set us back a little bit because you make a good point. Like People are striking, and generally people are okay with the idea of striking because they realize everyone is being squeezed, and it's a good thing to do. To talk about the media's reach, we have to remember that that headline is going to reach 1.2 million members of the Teamsters 
that this was signed and that this got them better benefits. And that's important too. Even if people who watch MSNBC don't see it, the people mm -hmm. that it materially affects are going to know. And the people that could benefit from it beyond that 1.2 million, the members of these unions in Amazon and USPS and Starbucks are also going to see that headline, even if CNN doesn't run it. Yeah. I think other unions seeing, you know, SAG after all those, I think they're going to see the power they have. Yeah. I mean, like always, the people who are paying attention and need to see this stuff are going to see it. Like, I, I definitely think that progressivism and leftism, dare I say, Marxism is growing in America. Um, and it's because it is kind of inevitable when they keep squeezing people this way. It's like, this is what people find, which have next. Sorry. Yeah. Just, with you. Oh, sorry. One more point is that, like, I think, you know, from us, like talking about this thing and like, obviously, like, I think our goal would be to connect all of these union labor organization efforts to like some kind of like broader political movement and everything like that. So like, I think that's why we need to be really careful about how we talk about these things. Because like, if we come at this like really ultra, it's like, oh, you should have fucking struck when it's like a guy like just feeling like he got exactly what he wanted out of this for his family and he avoided the material cost of actually going on the picket line and not getting paid for a while like if you come at this from like a really ultra left position you're gonna alienate that person and you're gonna be like who the fuck are these people coming to talk like why the hell do i ever want to have anything to do with him why do i go on to organize with this person this person does not know what they're talking about they have no idea what's going on in my life right now i just want a big thing this person's fucking insane so you, you you know you want to be careful with that kind of shit. Like if you yeah, actually don't be a want to, right? Yeah, like if you and, and <laughs> socialist alternative put out something condemning the friggin' you know that they oh, you know, came to some kind of agreement already. It's like I go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. These people just want some material benefits. This part time worker is actually going to get something out of this because they threatened to strike and because they had the organization. This person that person is not going to join your organization. They're not going to connect your movement at all if you're going to treat this this way. So that's why you have to be really careful about how you handle this. Like obviously we want to see certain things happen, but like again, where's the movement going if you're going to come in acting like that? It's almost like we have found this episode a consistent through line that you should take some time to shut the fuck up and listen to the people involved. Critical support. <laughs> <laughs> You guys have anything else? We can wrap it up there. I think it's a good enough place to end it on. It's a good quilting point. I like it. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It was a lot of fun. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take some yeah. of those yeah. uh, clips from the outtakes at the beginning and put them at the uh, the front and space out a bit. All right. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Take it easy. Good night. Have a good uh, one. Adios, Paisanos. Got it in there. Go, Pittsburgh Folk. Let's hang out. 10 4.